Hello and welcome back to Diaries of a Lady Gardener, the podcast about all things planty. From flowers and fruits to succulents and sowing microgreens, we cover a whole host of topics with some of your favourite people across the gardening world. This one's for those who prefer plants to people and think of their seedlings as their children. This episode is sponsored by Mole Valley Farmers, who is celebrating the Grace Outdoors this spring. Visit them in stores across the UK or at moleonline.com between the 1st of March and the 31st of May to make the most of their fabulous offers. You'll find discounts on items like sheds, garden furniture and all of those gardening essentials. So head over to check out their full product range and get your garden summer ready. This week I got to chat to the fabulous Henrietta and Bridget from the Land Gardeners all about how they're on a mission to make life better for our soil. I found this chat just so inspiring and I cannot wait to get my hands on their book Soil to Table in the coming weeks and I just know you're going to love this one so enjoy. Hi Henrietta and Bridget welcome to the podcast. Oh hi we're we're so happy to be here. Yes good morning. It's so lovely to have you and I know that the sun is shining on me but I feel like it's a really lovely morning for the podcast. Um, It is yeah no it's really lovely to see the sun after all that rain. We're sitting in London and actually it's really fresh this morning. Very lovely this morning. We're in um, our studio that's the bottom of um, my garden tucked away um, which is a very lovely feeling. It looks like a lovely space. So I know that we don't have loads of time today, but I would love to hear about where your journey started and where your kind of interest in plants and the soil began. Right. Well, I mean, that's that's quite a long way back, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. um, I suppose for both of us, we were both lawyers and both decided that wasn't really the, the, the you know the profession for us. And we both became interested actually separately Um, At that point, we didn't know each other. We became separately interested in um, soil and gardens and design and human health and plant health and actually planetary health. It was probably about 20 years ago that I first went to a lecture about um, climate change and was was in New Zealand, actually, and was an American woman. And I was so almost paralyzed with like the sort of realization of what we were doing to the planet and for six months could hardly think or do anything. And then suddenly realized, actually, if we all did a little bit, then it could, we could make a difference. And then we, we actually met at the, um, the nursery gates when our children were tiny. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, so we used to sort of wait for our little children chatting about plants and gardens. And I think we were both seeking really to, to do something more meaningful with, with plants and gardens. Um, it, it was great designing gardens but um we were really talking about what what is real beauty what is a really living vital space and it all does start with the soil so we decided to um join forces and so we said let's let's do something together um which is really about soil health and really about making gardens where where when you walk into them you you can really feel that they're alive right from the soil up through the insects and the birds you can feel that life and we wanted just to really connect with the soil and to grow, which is why we started Growing Cut Flowers. Amazing. What a lovely story. Um, and so you have been growing cut flowers for how long now? We started in about 2011. Mm-hmm. And um, 
really action response. At that point, Henry and I were thinking about, you know, um, research into soils and how to make soil sort of biopreps and compost and various things. And But then um, a friend uh, wanted us to grow some uh, flowers for her shop in London um, that she couldn't get in the market. So long, very long sort of natural plants like um, Cosmos, amazingly, and still is quite hard to get in the market. But um, mm. things of Cosmos and the Bina Benariensis and salvias. salvias, different sorts of dahlias, which weren't really available at that time. They were just the little headed dahlias. So, and those old blousy English shrub roses. Yeah. So we, we sort of started in the autumn with the, those autumn sort of very um, feathery, natural sort of plants and then and then we just kept kept going and it was a brilliant way to test our soil so as we as we sort of paddock gobbled as my husband would say and kept making new flower beds we could keep testing and trialing um the different um soil and and compost preparations that we were you know experimenting with and the really exciting thing was actually that we did a test last year um Bridgie had done a test when she first <clears throat> arrived 10, 10 years ago, over a period of 10 years, we found that our um, soil organic matter, our carbon levels had gone up from 5% to 12.6%. Wow. And in some cases, nearly 15%. So we were, we not only doubled them, we'd almost tripled them. And that was through using our new uh, climate compost. So it was so exciting um, to see that we really were making a difference to the soil. We could feel it and we could see it with the flowers we were growing. But um, it's always nice when a scientist says, yes, you are. Yes, you have made a real difference. Else, <laughs> what have you been doing? <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, we also worked with something called Innovative Farmers, which is a really amazing, actually, um, uh, organisation where it's, it's with the Soil Association and LEAF and the Duchy Farms and various um, agricultural and horticultural universities. And what they do is if you have an idea they link you with a professor or a PhD student and they they help you come up with a trial that's got a bit of scientific rigor because, you know, um, non-scientists, we weren't very good at that. And um, and so you have this idea and they and and then you get other farmers or growers to um to to be part of that experiment. And the brilliance of that is is that it, it goes quite quickly. So, you know, you can get results in sort of six months to a year, whereas if it goes through a university program, it takes forever. Um, so we did a trial, trialing it in different countries around the world with different inputs, different climates, um, but the same sort of methodology. And um, it really worked. We got some wonderful um, results. Yeah, we did. And it's such an amazing product. I think not only because it, it does a lot, but the, the kind of process behind it and the the science behind how the product works, I just found absolutely fascinating. I actually discovered you guys at Chelsea Flower Show last year. Um, there was a tent there and me and my mum were wandering around and we got chatting to one of the guys in there and uh, we bought a bag of the compost and now I put it into everything. Like the, my bag's nearly run out and I'm going to have to get some more. But can you talk oh. about sort of what the, what the, how the climate compost can help home gardeners and allotmenteers? Well, it's actually what we discovered that is that we were making an, inoc an inoculum, really. It's a bit like a probiotic for the soil rather than a yogurt. It's a probiotic. So it's really teeming with microbes to the extent that we had this really wonderful young student at Falmouth uh, Uni and she wanted to do a 
project on packaging for us. And she left our um, climate compost in, in a linen bag over Christmas. And when she came back in January, it had eaten through the linen bag. No way. So, yeah, because it has just got this living uh, microbial life in it. So it's very potent. So actually in a garden, um, if you were to use it, you would, if you were planting, you just put a pinch in underneath mm -hmm. each seedling. You'd put a handful in underneath a shrub um, or, a, or a tree, but actually you need a very tiny little bit um, underneath. So it really connects with the roots. Or you can actually rub um, the compost and the seeds. So if you've just got a few seeds and you're about to plant them, you put them on your palm of your hand, you put in some of this compost. The thing you'll find about this compost is, you know, normal compost are quite dry and fluffy and quite sort of like granolary, I suppose, like breakfast, you know, like, and whereas this is quite sticky and you can sort of feel it's, and that's really what why we know it's full of life because there's a lot of life in there happening, dying, eating each other, you know, um, all sorts of carry on. And, um, and you can, um, and, and, the, and, the, and that process, there's a, um, some, this glomulin that comes um, with, with it. And that, that then you see you can mush around with your seeds and that micro life sticks to the seeds because it's so tiny. I mean, there's more microbes in a teaspoon of soil or our compost than people in the world. Wow. So once you start realizing that, you don't need very much and you just need to connect it to whatever's growing, whether it's the seed or underneath the seedling. And once it is growing, um, what we um, do very regularly is we make compost teas. So we'll take um, a handful of it and we'll put it in a watering can or a bucket and we'll dynamize, dynamize it. We'll really sort of whisk it up to get the oxygen into it. Um, and that water is either rainwater or um, we'll put a filter on our hose because you don't want chlorine because that kills the microbes. And we'll do that. And then we water that and use that as a foliar feed um, as while our plants are growing. Um, so we'll do that sort of every couple of weeks if we're watering in the summer. See, I haven't tried the compost tea yet, but I'm definitely going to try that this year. And what I really loved about the product was that it, it wasn't super expensive to buy. I can't remember exactly how much it was, but it goes so far like that's lasted me nearly a year of planting hundreds of plants and like I've redone my entire allotment this year so it, it's kind of had a little sprinkling oh my God, well, that's so good. right it's 15 pounds for a two litre bag and that has yeah hundreds of pictures in it so yeah that's, that's good that's 15 pounds including postage so yeah you probably bought it for 12 pounds at, at I think it was before. about 12 pounds yeah yeah um but it's um it is amazing and it is i mean we're using it on a farm scale um with various farmers we're trialing it and you know with the moment we're trialing it five liters per hectare or or 10 liters per hectare through a direct drill wow. so so if that if that does work and we will know more in the next few months then you know that could be an amazing solution to stopping using sort of chemical fertilizers and things massively I feel yeah. a little bit taken aback by how much, how little you need for yeah. that much land. Yeah. If it's, if it's, I mean, the thing is, is that inoculum that we've, we've really, I mean, we've, it's like a sort of oh, very like, fragile baby. We've yeah. really babied along, kept the microbes baby. alive. Um, and, you know, there is a, you know, there's obviously everyone that's composting is doing a great job. And, you know, there's a real spectrum from, you know, the, okay, the probiotic pill at one end 
but also the fact that you're recycling and reusing and putting it back on the ground. I mean, the big thing that people just have to realise is that they have to get air into it so that it doesn't putrefy and you don't have sort of nitrous oxides and methane, which is bad for the environment. So by putting air into your compost, um, uh, and you can do that either by turning it or, or layering your compost with enough carbon, um, which will then keep it from getting too hot and too soggy. Um, so I think if people can realize that and also thinking about putting maybe some of your old compost back in because you're inoculating it with some microbes, maybe even putting some of us um, in there and just not letting it get too, too hot. And so can you tell us a little bit about how the inoculum is made? Well, we make it up on a um, uh, in a farm, in a, um, on a barn, and we have these huge long windrows. Um, but they're not high, they're very low. They're about 1.2 metres high. So, I mean, I don't know, you've probably never been to one of those big green waste sites, but they have huge, huge piles of compost. And as Bridgie said, they putrefy. You just get no oxygen in them. So you get these, you, they releasing greenhouse gases and they're not really, um, they're killing the microbes. They're getting too hot, a bit like pasteurising milk. They will kill the bad microbes, but they'll kill all the goodies too. So we um, have these long windrows. We layer carbon and nitrogen. Um, so taking ingredients off the farm, things like straw, uh, leaves, um, that, that will be our carbon sources. And oh, then hay. hay and then greens will be our nitrogen and manure as well. Uh, although we are actually also making vegan piles, which oh, you can wow. do. You can absolutely do that. So we'll have a, if people want vegan uh, climate compost they can get that from us this year and um, we pile it up we add some clay which is a really important ingredient um, which is a actually a home for the microbes and food for the microbes we water it and um, we turn it we have a we have a turner that we uh, use to turn it and we we measure it every day um, I mean is Bridget said like our baby we're sort of <laughs> every day saying how's it doing how's it doing and, um, and we'll look at the moisture levels the temperature and the oxygen levels to make sure those are optimum for microbial life. And the change that happens is so dramatic so quickly. It's unbelievable. I mean, the power of nature, once you give it the right conditions, is just incredible. And you can then see it humming and the microbes really working and it breaks down quickly. And then it produces this just lovely humified compost over about six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's mind-blowing. <laughs> wow. The thing is that you can, um, and you can do that at home as well, um, but, you know, and the clay is only about 10% of the pile, but it is a very important part, and I think a lot of people, that's one of the things that, you know, I mean, we've been composting for years, and we never put clay in, and we tried to not put clay in, because it was a little bit of a pain to get it, because you have to sort of dig back the topsoil and get down into the subsoil and get some clay, um, but actually it makes a real difference to the, to the humifying ability of the, of the compost. Um, so, and if you can't get clay, you can always use bentonite clay, which is quite expensive, but you don't need very much. It's okay. a sort of comes in a powdery form. It's also really good for your hens. You can sprinkle it on the back of your hens and apparently your dog for sort of anti-mites, anti-fleas. Hmm. Oh, even actually, even going even further, you can sprinkle it on your bed for bed bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so there we are, bentonite clay. <laughs> um, and we we realised that not everyone has time or the energy to make these windrows and to turn them. I mean, we did love it, and they do. 
amazingly produce these sort of enzymes that give you a bit of a high when you turn them. Um, but um, actually, we came up with this idea of compost cakes, which are a static form of making compost, where you can make compost over six months without turning it. Those are, that's for the that's for the your average gardener. Yeah, who, you know. Oh, who okay. is, I mean, there is a which you could do on an allotment, for example. Yeah. 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 So, so it just isn't quite so um, time intensive. And I mean, we did them in in rows by hand in windrows to begin with, and it is possible. So, if people want to learn that method of, of fast composting and they're prepared to put a bit of time in, really just for the first two weeks two of weeks, a six yeah. to eight week process, then we can help them with that. But it's mostly um, if actually in our, our latest book that's supposed to be going out tonight, um, we do have how to make the compost cake recipe and what ingredients and, and the sort of proportions just to give people a, a bit of a, a heads up on how to do it. I think this is something that I'm going to have to do this year. It, it yeah. sounds exciting. Compost is one of those things that I think I've struggled with because until the last maybe six months, I just didn't really understand how it worked. And then when I accidentally made some compost from a pile of kind of wood chip weeds and other stuff that was left over on the allotment that I took over, I couldn't really believe that the compost had made itself. And then I was like, oh, wow, this is actually quite good compost. Um, But now I'm really, really trying. uh, And I've got two compost bays, but I still feel just a little bit lost with what I'm doing with it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that the bays are great as well. I mean, we used to have bays, but, and then what we ended up doing is using the bays as a sort of pantry to store the browns and the greens and the, you know, the leaves that you've got from, you know, autumn or whatever, or your, your different ingredients. And then we would make these compost cakes, which we sort of make as, I mean, they do look like a big cupcake really, that you put um, stakes in the ground and you build inside it. You build up the mm-hmm. layers from your pantry. Um, and that's really fun if you do it with a friend and you and you water in between. But the other thing is you can do it in your, in your static piles and in your bays, but just using the same techniques, always thinking, gosh, if I've got a whole lot of um, grass clippings, then I've got to mix that with something brown because if I put all my grass clippings together, it'll be, there won't be enough air. So just, you could use, and, and you know, and that does work as well. It just takes longer. Mm-hmm. We, we always liken it a bit to a teenage party that you you don't want lots of teenagers um, that are sort of all too crushed into a room without enough oxygen. You've got to give them, keep the windows open. You've got to give them something to drink, keep, keep the um, it, sort of moisture. And then also you've got to, um, keep it a right temperature <laughs> that is a brilliant <laughs> analogy yeah, but, then, but then I have to say then the analogy ends because actually what you want in your compost pile is lots of sex and death um, so, and so you don't know, want your teenage party so at that point you just turn the turn the music off but um yeah in your pile it can just keep going it sounds amazing I'm definitely I'm going to do it this year I'll do it with the um with the babies my nephews they'll absolutely love this Brilliant. And I'll, te- I'll yeah, teach them from the age of three how to make compost amazing yeah. send us photos because we always love to see a cakes being made I absolutely will I mean compost cake is my kind of my kind of compost <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the book I absolutely cannot wait to read this um the new book's called soil to table Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's recipes for the soil and for food. Yes, it's really opening the door to that idea that um, the nutrient density of the food you eat and the quality of it comes from the soil. 
and that we've we sometimes lose that connection and that it's really important to think that when you're choosing what to eat or where to source it from to think back actually how has that been grown how has it been produced um and um yeah so we really wanted to make that connection and really talk a bit about our lockdown story of suddenly when we had no food and we couldn't go to supermarkets we didn't want to go to them we started really looking at local sources of food and um and the joy of connecting with that and finding all those these actually making food just down the road that you didn't realize and there was a brilliant um couple um women of actually a couple of women in cornwall that just started up a um a excel spreadsheet and sent it off saying please put your name down if you can supply if you're ready to you know sell direct rather than going through um shops and things and and within four days, the Excel spreadsheet had flown up the countryside and all these farmers and producers and growers had put their names down. And suddenly um, you could, you, I mean, you can still do it now. You can look up farms to feed us and you can find um, people local to you and national to you. So we can get fish sent from Cornwall. We can get lamb sent from, you know, down the road or, or, or further afield. And it's, it's really a, um, it's a really brilliant resource and, and we're so low tech. And the great thing is by doing that, you're supporting farmers and growers who are really doing the right thing by the land. You know, they're really caring for the land and regenerating our land. And also you're you're improving your health because you're eating things that really are nutrient dense and that are really good for you because they've come from healthy soil. Mm. And I think it's the big thing is, this, I mean, there's a lot of um, debate about whether we should be eating meat or not. And you can see, I mean, you know, um, ruminants like sheep and cattle are not great for the environment but there is a balance where they enough of you know some of them are really good to go back over the land to to feed it again and also they're an amazing source of protein so the big thing is, is probably what we're trying to say is eat eat less but eat much better whether it's actually meat or vegetables really find a good source and if you're finding a good source of um, food it'll be nutrient dense and you won't have to eat as much and it'll be better for you and it tastes so much better too well, it totally does yes. yeah and um and also you're supporting these farmers that are actually doing the right thing and they're getting paid directly rather than the middleman getting that, that food sorry don't worry <laughs> um and I think with, with the homegrown produce as well, as much as it's, it is easy to grow your own food, and I I actually said that I was going to step away a little bit from vegetables this year because I'm growing my, own, my sister's wedding flowers, but I have already very quickly come back to growing veg. But it's not always that easy to grow quite enough food to feed you for the entire year. So I am definitely, this year, it's a real focus to try and source more locally and like you say it's the quality of the food and it's feeding you and it's feeding the soil better so it's an all-round sort of win-win and I can never get over how much better homegrown produce tastes compared to things that make me really upset like those 19p bags of carrots that they sell at Christmas and you think there there is nothing good about this bag of carrots absolutely <laughs> and, and I mean it's real it's really um it's really shocking to think that the food we're eating, those carrots that we're eating today have so far less nutrients than the carrots our grandmothers were eating. Mm. 
So, yes, if we can, I mean, if anyone, if you can grow them yourselves, even a little bit, that makes such a difference. But yes, otherwise, finding good local sources um, and it makes is so important. And it makes such a difference, too, because if they're doing the right thing by the soil, that soil has the ability to sequester carbon. So if those if that plant is photosynthesizing in the correct way, then it's building soil and it's locking the carbon into the soil. It's bringing it down through the, the process of photosynthesis into the soil. Um, the plant needs the carbon and the atmosphere needs the carbon out of it. You know, so, you know, the solution is under our feet. And um, if those of you that haven't watched um, Kiss the Ground, um, oh, it's a brilliant, amazing it's a brilliant documentary. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've mentioned it in about eight different episodes throughout the, the past three seasons because it was one of those documentaries that as much as I knew part of the <coughs> issue of soil de degradation, I didn't realise quite the scale of it. And I think it's crazy that it's one of those things that no one talks about. We always talk about like um, saving the trees and saving the sea and different bits and pieces, but no one ever really talks about the problem with the soil and what we're doing with sort of mass scale farming and intensive farming. Yeah, absolutely. It's been left out as the sort of poor cousin. But if we, I mean, the, the thing is we have too much carbon in our atmosphere and we don't have enough in our soil, but through ploughing and through degradation, through conventional or chemical farming. And so if we can take that carbon that's in the atmosphere and put it back into the soil, it, um, it's a win-win. Um, so um, yeah, it's a brilliant kiss the ground. It really, you, you really feel fired up. And actually you a lot, I mean, everyone with allotments is doing such great things for growing. I mean, the, the amount that's pre produced off allotments is so much higher that's coming up from those big monoculture fields. Um, so per, per, per square foot or, or whatever it is. Or square absolutely. And the other thing is, is that even if you've got a pot, if you, and it's sort of explained a little bit in our book, because I think once you understand that whole process of photosynthesis, and I know we all did it by um, biology at school and found it really pretty boring, but now, of course, we find it fascinating. But, you know, if that plant is working and those microbes in the soil are being looked after by having a plant in it is number one, number two is having some water and being fed, um, then, you know, that life is actually helping sequester some carbon. And if everyone does that, if everyone looks at soil like a sort of lovely lot of pets and looks after it with such care, then, you know, then we can all make a difference together. And soil is so much more exciting than people seem to think. <laughs> oh, well, we're, we're obsessed, as you know. <laughs> oh, we like yeah, it. It's such a long journey. We know still so little about it. So we're learning all the time. Um, no, we, we're completely obsessive. <laughs> I think it's such a brilliant time to be talking about it, though, because finally the conversations are kind of opening up and people are becoming a bit more, not open to talking about it, but something will spark someone's interest. And I think with the whole lockdown and a lot more people discovering gardening and kind of the power of the great outdoors, there's so many benefits, whether it's for your health and well-being, for the soil itself, to grow your own produce. Like, no, it might not be the cheapest way to eat vegetables because the supermarkets make them so ridiculously cheap but there is there's so much excitement and sort of I even think the cooking make is so much more exciting when you're cooking with your own produce that's not the kind of things that you can just pick up off the supermarket shelves they taste a hundred times better they make you feel a hundred times better and you just have that real connection with sort of 
the environment around us rather than just kind of disconnecting and picking up something that's in a plastic packet and bringing that home and being like that's it absolutely that sort of empty <coughs> feeling and I think the other thing is you have to realize that they may seem cheap in a supermarket but there are actually a lot of hidden costs with those foods Massively. so there are costs to our health there are costs to the environment and how it's been made and all of that we're paying through the back door through taxation um so I mean, one of our missions is really to start knocking on the government's door um, uh, along with along with some other um, sort of strong believers out there, really to get more support for for this type of um, growing and um, and composting. And the great thing about the book is that there's a is we give you a, um, we tell you how you can start a pop up farmer's market. And it's not hard. It's Ooh. really easy. And that whole thing of being not thinking, oh, I have to set this up forever. You know, pop pop up restaurant, pop up farmer's market. We did it. Um, in fact, we did a farmer's market within two days. We decided on a Wednesday and decided to do our farmer's market on the Friday. And you know what? It really worked. and People loved it. And and then, you know, when it, our families and, and life got too busy, we popped down again. So I think, you know, that could be something fun, especially if there's an, an allotment where there's a group of you that have different produce that's all coming on over summer. And it's a really good excuse to have get people together, get the community to link together around food. Definitely. And all it takes is one little spark of excitement to get someone else to then try it themselves. I am yeah. um, at work. I've We've got like a work garden. And I've been kind of dragging people out with me to to tend to the garden and slowly but surely more and more people are kind of getting interested in it. and then they're like, oh, I've started listening to the podcast. I've got a few pots outside my house. And it just feels like such a even one or two people feels like such a big win because I, I just think I discovered gardening completely by accident. And a lot of people just think, oh, it's not for me. It's not for me. But all of the, all that they need is that one little spark to kind of kick them off into the excitement of it. And then they, they'll become interested in the soil and interested in the crops that they can grow and the whole circular, circular economy behind growing your own. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, of course, there is this, this now being proved that there's a bacteria in soil that is the same one, similar to one that's in our gut, that stimulates serotonin in our brain. So that whole thing of how you actually feel good when you have your hands in the soil, we know we feel that, but actually it's now been proved there is a real feel-good factor to, to gardening. Definitely, and I just, I couldn't love it anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so great. Well, well done you with your podcast, because that's another way of, you know, sharing all this information is, is you know, people have got so used to... Um, you know, like uh, there's a wonderful way of, of getting more information, talking to people and, and listening to podcasts. And we all need that hope, don't we? Particularly at the moment with the world. So um, doing something very connecting and growing and feeding your families and producing homegrown seasonal flowers is such a such a connecting way to make some bring some joy into our lives. Definitely. And I think your new book is definitely going to help people on that journey as well. Um, do you have a date that it will be available? Yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully by, by April it will be. Amazing. So, um, I think pre-orders, we're taking pre-orders um, at the moment. We've got lots of people wanting them, which is great. So they'll be sent out as soon as it comes in, which should be the sort of third week of March. Mm -hmm. And we are, we are, we've still got our... Um, cut flower book as well which we um are sending out to so yeah another absolutely amazing book <laughs> uh, by the way that actually 
Thames and Hudson, who published it, and um, published it, I, I think you've probably got that in the large format, they're bringing it out again in a small format. So the big format actually is about to um, be no longer. So if if you want the big one, I'd get them now. And then the smaller ones will come from our website. A- coming on yeah. April, yeah. Yeah. Oh, how exciting. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure. I feel properly fired up about soil again. <laughs> hooray, oh, hooray. Oh, that's great. Well, look, thank you and lovely to meet you. You too. It's been so lovely. Love your enthusiasm. And we always love uh, seeing anyone who's making compost cakes or any chat about compost being sent pictures where we're, we'd love to see. So and that's for you and your listeners. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Shannon. Bye. Bye. It still makes me laugh every day how excited I get about soil. My friends think I'm absolutely crazy, but it's always a treat to chat to people that are just as passionate, if not more, about the subject. Definitely go and check out The Land Gardeners on Instagram and get yourself a copy of their new book to find out more. It's going to be a real game changer. If you've loved listening, please do leave a review and let me know on Instagram, at Diary of a Lady Gardener. I really love to hear from you with all of your questions, suggestions and your own gardening stories. That's all from me this week. Happy growing!